Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Welcome to Women on the Line, one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. The show is produced at 3CR Community Radio in Melbourne and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. I'm your host, Tan Hung Fan. Women on the Line acknowledges this program is produced and presented on the stolen lands of the Wurundjeri peoples of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge Elders past, present and becoming, as well as the owners of the land you are hearing us from. On today's Women on the Line, we look at race and community care. How is community care addressed in the community sector here in Victoria? And when we think about race and community care, what issues are we addressing and are we addressing them appropriately? We chat with Caroline Riddler, who is the coordinator of the Queer, Trans, Indigenous People of Colour Project at Switchboard Victoria. She self-identifies as a queer Indian woman of colour and has been involved with LGBTIQ, women's and people of colour organising in Melbourne for many years. Caroline chats with us about the upcoming panel she is coordinating and moderating, Race and Community Care. She shares with us her insights into anti-racism training and community sector issues when working with queer, trans, indigenous people of colour. Let's hear from Caroline. My name's Caroline. I'm a QTPOC project coordinator at Switchboard Victoria. So QTPOC stands for Queer and Trans Indigenous Peoples and or People of Colour Project. And Switchboard is a Victorian-based telephone and web counselling support service for LGBT communities. And it's peer-based, so everybody uh, volunteering there is from the community, from LGBT communities. Could you just start by telling us your role at Switchboard and the services that you provide um, and the framework that you use as well? Yeah, sure. So as I said before, like Switchboard provides telephone and web counselling that is peer-based. They also provide a community visiting scheme for people who are in receipt of a home care package. So that might be people who are LGBT living in aged care facilities or are living with a disability. And so that's like a peer-based visiting scheme. So LGBT people volunteer to visit people who are in receipt of a home care package. Mm. And the project that I coordinate is um, the one that is called the QTPOC project. And so that's about looking into um, how to create better equity for Indigenous peoples and or people of colour within Switchboard as a service, but also the broader LGBTIQA plus um, community here in, I guess, Victoria. What the approach of the project is, is I'm hoping, <laughs> is is to apply um, an anti-racist approach, an approach taken from uh, racial literacy, which is what I studied at uni, yep. <laughs> nicely enough. Um, and yeah, anti-racist organizing and applying that to um, switchboard services, uh, looking to the way that they could um, be more equitable in their recruitment, in their policy, in their training of volunteers who do provide the service, and then also providing 
that form of service to like other similar peer organisations, uh, working in health, um, LGBT community development, uh, multicultural de- community <laughs> development we've been working on lately, yeah. So could you tell listeners what anti-racism training is? Okay, so it's a little bit different from uh, I think what is more popular right now here locally, which is cultural competency. Yeah. And I'm not hanging any any particular shit on, on, on cultural competency. Sometimes cultural competency can mean anti-racism and sometimes mm. this, the anti-racism training I've been to has been more cultural competency training. But what I've noticed, cultural competency um, tends to be focused on culture and training people to be more um, culturally understanding of one another, which sounds great. It's just that I've seen a, a growing pattern where that comes to be the the main focus of cultural competency is that inequality is based on cultural misunderstandings and it often sometimes in the training it relies on uh, racial stereotypes to talk about cultural incompetency. So mm. I, I will look through, say, a mental health first aid book and I'll have a cultural safety section and it will just say things like, you know, when you visit an Asian person's house, you take your shoes off at the beginning of the door. Mm. But it, it won't talk about the mental health impacts of, say, racism for Asian communities, which I think is really important when you're providing like mental health services for communities of colour. An anti-racism approach would probably acknowledge that need um, and the reasons why people are in need or need of, in need of support or in need of equity um, or access is rooted in racism so like a system of inequality that is enforced socially politically economically in everyday interactions between people but also in policy in media in government it's all kind of connected together in a system of inequality yeah it's almost like learn be more aware of of a culture not think about why you might have the power to be helping people in the first place Mm. Um, and then that will solve the issue of access and that will help the issue of inequality like well it's not even seen as inequality it's just seen as difference which I think Mm. is quite um, it really glazes over the real source of the the problem yeah. So when um when we look at difference, it's you're saying that that glazes over the problem rather than yeah the I guess the root of it the root of the issue yeah um I, it comes from it comes from like a really like I think conservative wave in in uh, meeting the na- needs of I guess the government would describe it as multicultural communities where. Um, I think historically in Australia, it went from the government actually focused more on um, racial discrimination and the reason, uh, the reasoning why people weren't getting the access to health or, you know, rights and things like that yeah. was to do with racial inequality. And then it moved like maybe in the 80s or 90s to a focus on multiculturalism and a focus on diversity yeah. and a focus on culture and that um, in things like needs not being met was rooted in cultural misunderstanding as opposed to, like, historical state um, over-policing or um, stigmatising of communities of colour and exclusion of those communities. So I wanted to talk about the, I guess, the trend of um, 
QTI POC um, consultations and research and funding. Yeah. Um, could you yeah. tell me what have been the benefits of that and the challenges? I think the benefits are imagined as recording people's consultations with an understanding that recording the issue accurately leads to change in some way, in some shape or form, or holding people in power more accountable because we've recorded the issue or the consultation. When I've, you say recorded the, the issue, um, can you elaborate on that, what you mean? So like, a, like um, I guess w- what you were talking about is like a, like a QTI, POC consultation, mm-hmm. like where people get interviewed or like they're put in a group and they're asked, you know, what is your problem? Yes. Or they, they're given a survey and they're like, what have you experienced? You know, tell me, tell me, tell me what's happened. How have we failed? You yeah. know, um, it's often people with power who are doing the inviting, who are like, you come into this place. And it's often people who don't have power. I know I'm making like massive binaries here, but like who who are the ones who are having to retell the the damage or the trauma or the it, um, my needs are not met in this way. It's a very well-intentioned process, right? It should have good consequences. But the thing is, there's inequality in that. Um, it's people who have power inviting people in and setting the terms that they speak on and the terms that we're setting for, you know, cutie puck at least locally, what I've noticed is you got to come in and you got to tell me your damage story so that I can write it down or I can make it into a statistic of some kind so I can show other people how bad it is. Um, but you will have no part in the decision-making on how your needs are going to be met for yourself. I'm going to decide or other people, not even myself, are going to decide and there will be no relationship between us after this and you will not benefit in any real way and your community will not benefit in any real way. It is an issue. I, I know that people are looking for new ways of sorting out the issues you know, collectively um, in both, you know, on a community level and a sector-based level. But that is an issue that's coming up. And look, when I'm when I'm talking about damage and things like that, I just want to say that I didn't come up with this observation myself. It came from a woman called Eve Tuck, mm-hmm. who's a First Nations uh, writer. Please look her up. Eve Tuck, everyone. Eve Tuck, she wrote this uh, work on suspending damage, and it, and it was yeah. about, um, yeah, recording damage of, I think, um, Indigenous communities – it kind of operates from like a flawed theory of change. It will benefit people in some real way, which is not always the case. In case you missed who Caroline quoted, she mentioned Eve Tuck's article, Suspending Damage. Eve's article looks at how damage-centred research is connected to a deficient model and that the individual, community or tribe are often documented and researched for their pain or loss, and often this is to benefit those in power. In her article, she says that Indigenous people and communities of colour are over-researched, yet ironically made invisible. Her article offers a much-needed and insightful critique that would benefit the community sector, particularly those working with Indigenous and communities of colour. Women on the line. Do you have um, ideas on alternatives to that? I guess, consultation process or what you would like to see improved in that process? In a tangible way, don't invite people into a room to just talk about their their oppression. Like, don't deny it, but also think about who's doing the inviting and why. Really assess your intentions, I think, when you're doing things. I think that what could improve the consultation process is um, the people doing the inviting, um, 
assessing people's actual intentions and like why they're doing the consultation in the first place? Is it like, is it to get equity in, in, in some way in your organisation? I also think that it's done much better from observation when it's done by and for the community, like it's coming from the community consulting kind of ourselves or like speaking amongst ourselves in some way. And in that way, we can set the terms that we're speaking under and that we're being recorded under. And hopefully that allows better, I guess, freedom in what we can say. And do you see that being done um, in some form or another in the sector at the moment? I see it being done well when there's a little bit more power being put in the hands of the people who are retelling their stories. Yeah, and whose services it's provided. Yeah, and, and, and like when the benefit, I guess, is more clearly known. I think that's when it can be done really well. So what issues in particular have you seen in the community sector when it comes to working with communities of colour? I mean, I know you've touched on consultation and meaningful consultation, um, but are there other things that you that you see uh, happening at the moment? I think I've noticed what I would describe as like performative work. So that means what I mean by that is like work where you show that you're doing a good thing rather than you do the good thing people trying to be more inclusive by, I guess, showing more images, actual images of people of colour in their advertising for their services. Um, or they might, you know, hire some people of colour casually in, in temporary roles to to talk about this issue, like very, very temporarily and then go. Um, they might, they run, run training. And that's funny because I run training. But um I suppose it's like it's wanting to show that you've you've dealt with this issue in this way but you won't incorporate it into the way you actually interact with people of colour on a daily basis in the workplace, in the recruitment, in the hierarchy of your organisation, so whether or not people of colour are going to be given decision-making power in any real way. So, uh, so that might be uh, being represented as a CEO or a, a board member. Um, or uh, someone higher up in your organisation. In terms of structural and organisational changes, could you give an example of like an improvement that you would like to see in like a structure? Yeah, hire people of colour. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> hire people of colour. Give people of colour um, decision making power in your organisation. I guess it's it's that thing with um, inclusion. You gotta feel like you own the place to do inviting. Yeah. Um, maybe let go of that. Came from the same bloodline as Andres. Handed out a boy in a tactical vest. Ready for whatever type of shit we catch next. Yay, never been afraid of no badge, bruh. Two police is a matcher. I just came to make it all even because the field uneven and we live in a last, bruh. A rebel of a devil and a dodger hat. They kill an hour people. On community radio around Australia, you're listening to Caroline Riddler chat to us about anti racism training and community sector issues when working with queer, trans and Indigenous people of colour. I'm your host, Tanhang Pham, and you're listening to Women on the Line. Don't forget you can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. Stay tuned to hear more from Caroline. Women's on the line. (laughs) Women on the line. Women on the line. (laughs) 
You have an event coming up. Could you please tell listeners what the event's about? So the event is a panel event, and it's the first event that we've run through the Cutie Pop project. Awesome. And it's titled Race and Community Care. It's being hosted on the 23rd of June. If you want to book tickets, go on to the Switchboard Facebook page and it'll be one of the events and you can click through to the event bright. We have reserved tickets for any LGBTIQA plus um, Indigenous peoples and or people of colour. So your reserved ticketing would be by typing in the uh, Caps Locks QTIPOC in Eventbrite and you can reserve your tickets. The theme is race and community care because I think that we're going to be talking about those things. But it's an, it's it's inviting, I guess, uh, Cutie Puck from working locally in artwork, in activism, in community organising, in writing. Some of them may or may not work in the sector in some way, some kind of community development sector, but are in their own way, in their own work, are dealing and responding to the issues that are facing our communities about race and care and well-being and equity. So we have Bex, who I think is a youth worker at Minus 18, someone called Nida, who's worked a lot of community work on pinkwashing um, and doing panels around that issue. Maddie Clark, who is a writer. Um, Tanine Onis-Williams, who works at Oxfam, I think, Um, and Rose Simonson, who I think is a volunteer at Minus 18, as well as doing their own work in community, yeah. And who will be facilitating the discussion? It will be me. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I really like this approach to, I guess, like looking at community care because a lot of the panels that I've seen are those who are higher up in position um, Mm, mm. speaking about policy and whatnot. And so I really like that you've brought in people who can talk about different aspects of community care. Mm. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about, you know, why you've decided to choose the people you've chosen and why you wanted to incorporate, I guess, like different aspects of community within this panel? Yeah, um, I think I've invited uh, these people because they they do deal with this topic like really yeah the panelists speak for themselves but I I do believe that um, each panelist in their own way write about this topic from whatever discipline they're working within and I think that it's important to invite people working in organizing working in art working in writing working in activism because I think the the usual way we hear about community care is from people who are say like psychologists or are policymakers or are much higher up and obviously that knowledge is valid in its own way but there are a lot of barriers for folks to get into those positions to be experts and I think that you know everyone can be an expert especially you know based on some of the work that the really brilliant work that these people are doing in their lives. I know that a male who is a performer, a lot of her performance is based on like storytelling and history and engaging with that in, in her community. And I, I see that as community care. I know Nida uh, worked um, on a panel about pinkwashing and it was actually addressing a really big issue for the LGBT uh, sector, uh, not engaging with like the issue of pinkwashing. 
um, and how that was really, really excluding Palestinian LGBT people. Can you tell me about the approach you're taking to conducting this panel? I guess the approach is that the panellists are the experts. They're the experts of their own work, of their own lived experience, of their own communities, of their needs, their priorities, their stories. The approach is that panellists get to set the terms of what they're saying. So how that works out tangibly is like, I ask, what do you want to be asked (laughs) about this issue? I name myself in asking of those questions and invite people to to speak on their own terms, I would hope, on, on what they think is important. Wonderful. And what do you hope to achieve from this panel? I would hope that it would show a conversation that isn't shown in, I guess, broader LGBT white sectors, um, speaking to a silence, but on our own terms, hopefully. I know I say on our own ter- terms a lot, but speaking to issues and stories and knowledges that are often not given any validity in our community and in the sector more broadly. So who do you think this panel is for? I think the panel is for queer and trans, Indigenous peoples and or people of colour. I think it's a time for us to discuss on our own terms what we want and what we think issues are. It's definitely also for other folks to listen, I think, and being in a listening role if you if you don't have lived experience and to think about our relationships together in a more complicated way. Also, the event is recorded. <laughs> so literally everybody, well, not everybody, but anybody could listen to the audio recording that's going to be made into a podcast after the event. So that's accessible and will be on the Switchboard website and the Facebook page and everything like that. Women's on the line. <laughs> oh, that was... Women on the line. Women on the line. <laughs> you just heard from Caroline Riddler, project coordinator of the Queer, Trans, Indigenous and People of Colour Project at Switchboard Victoria. She spoke with us about anti-racism training and community sector issues when working with queer, trans and Indigenous people of colour. Check out the panel she is coordinating and moderating called Race and Community Care. The event will feature a panel discussion and performance from 2 to 4pm on Sunday 23rd of June at Curate Space, Level 6, 306 Little Collins Street, Melbourne. The event will be Auslan interpreted and is wheelchair accessible. You can reserve tickets via Facebook. Just look up the QTI Project Presents Race and Community Care. Women on the Line is one of Community Radio's National Women's Current Affairs programs. It's produced and presented by a range of women broadcasters from 3CR in Melbourne and broadcasted nationally on the Community Radio Network. We welcome your comments or thoughts on today's show. So send us an email at womenontheline at gmail.com. Our programs can be downloaded from our website 3cr.org.au forward slash womenontheline. The theme music for Women on the Line is Slideshow at Free University by La Tigra. Thank you for listening to Women on the Line. I've been your host, Tanhan Pham, and tune in again next time. We favour the simple expression of the complex thought. 
We are for the large shape because it has the impact of the unequivocal. are for flat forms because they destroy illusion and reveal truth. were attempting to make art more than just something to look at. They wanted it to be something to be involved in, something too big to ignore. our function as artists to make the spectator see the world our way, not his way. It go lang, oh man. Follow when I AK, holy when I pray on those who pray on those who pray for better ways, AK, lang, lang. Came from the same bloodline as Andres. And that our boy in a tactical vest. Ready for whatever type of shit we catch next. Yay, never been afraid of no badge, bruh. Two police is a matchup. I just came to make it all even cause the field uneven and we living in the last, bruh. A rebel of a devil in a dodger hat. They killing now with people, we go hard for that. One, eight, nine, eight till we finish with that. No little pretty face, boo, you should go hit you with that. Bang, bang, oh man. How it's in a Was a little okie doke, a little whoopie whoop, cool story, bro. This ain't no motherfucking joke, and this is overthrow. The recognition, the ignition, and the young control. And I already know more better than a bunch of these racks. I don't spend a bunch of time trying to convince you with that. By that pat, 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 put a hole in your brain. Throw a little bit of wisdom, fill it back up again. It's like rain. Oh, man. Welcome to the party. I can't call nobody when these banks is trying to rob me. Fuck it, light a match. Fuck it, throw a match. Fuck it, let it burn. Fuck it, homie, rack. Rang, rang.
fire, fire, we don't need no water.